Hello, and welcome to Wands and Bronze, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we are your co-hosts. And today I'm talking about our little friends in the garden, gnomes. Uh, I'm also going to be talking a little bit about fetishes, which a gnome, a garden gnome, the statue of a garden gnome, is technically a kind of fetish, uh, among many other things. But like, we're not going to be talking about um, leather night at the gay bar, unfortunately. Yeah, this is not leather daddy corner. Um, I love gnomes. I actually have two zombie gnomes in my garden. And then, of course, I've got my little gnome tattoo. So I'm really excited to to talk about gnomes today. And like the like informal name of this episode is a gnome named Grimble Grumble, which is like, I love Pink Floyd. So. Which we're absolutely going to be talking about Grimble Grumble a bit later on. Truly one of the most iconic rock legends of all time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Grimble Grumble is iconic. Uh, like Prince Wishes, honestly. <laughs> Truly. Right. Um, but I'm going to continue the theme of tiny, dirty people. And I'm talking about a very, very magical, but also poisonous plant, uh, Mandrake. Mm. Yeah, uh, little mandragon. Little mandragon. I also, I just love that um, Mandrake was like, my roots are going to look like people. Yeah, it was like, you know, I could have a normal root. Yeah. Or I could look like a tiny pale baby. Um, also, there's so much great artwork. Like, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but this is like Diasportes with uh, a yeah. mandrake. And I'll Dias post pictures Dias of it. Diasportes with a mandrake. I'll, I'll post photos of it, you guys, um, for those of you that aren't on the Patreon so you can see it because, oh my God, like the ancient artwork about mandrake is Lo everything. I love it's, that. It's just so good. Um, well, I, I I just think, uh, like all old manuscript artwork is really great. I follow this Twitter, that's um weird weird guys from manuscripts or something. Like it's really actually that specific, but it's literally just weird little guys from manuscripts. Like when they try to draw a whale. Oh my god! I based I on love the description, all of the. Uh... Yeah, all of the animal drawings from people that have clearly never seen these animals. <laughs> um, like all the, like, elephants from places that have never seen elephants. Mm, uh, yes. Wow. Yeah, I just went to this great, um, I went to this great exhibition at the Getty, and I'm trying to find the name of it. Oh, it's called Flesh and Bones, the Art of Anatomy. And it's all just like, ancient anatomical drawings but my favorite is from this like illuminated manuscript and there's a guy that looks like he's flashing the camera but it's like he's lifting up his flesh to show the abdominal muscles <laughs> it's hot um but if you're on our instagram when i posted last week to announce that the episode would be up late uh the image that i posted so you can go find it is from that exhibition and it's a bunch of like baby skeletons like arranged around like a flower arrangement like almost like an old dutch painting but it's like black and white feet baby skeletons um so do recommend if you're in the los angeles area to go see the art of anatomy also the gift shop for that show oh, so good it's so good so spooky 
So um, I, I, we love a spooky vibe. We do, we do. But Nick, before we get started, I'd love to know, when did you feel the magic this week? Okay, so this week, actually, when did I feel the magic? So we had this night recently, and uh, so it is finally the time of year where the temperature in Texas looks like 100 degrees, 100 degrees, 100 degrees, 100 degrees. And actually, um, this last week, I decided to go out the night that we, the night, I think it was the night that we last recorded, no? Yeah, yeah. And then it was literally like 80 degrees that night and it wasn't even raining and it was so nice. Um, but also, also like how Texas that you're stoked about 80 degrees. No, literally though, it was actually, because it was like one of those things where I like had to be outside and yeah. it's literally been like a hundred degrees and like 90 at night. And it was like literally just that, that 80 degrees of like, oh, thank God. Like, yeah. And folks who aren't familiar with Texas, it's not like it is in a lot of places where it cools down significantly at night. Like very often in the summertime in Texas, you'll have nights where it, yeah, stays above 90, stays uh -huh. humid. Like you don't get the reprieve after dark consistently. So this, it is like a big deal when it drops 20 degrees. So, I, so, but it was nice. It was, I, it, the, it was breezy. Um, and yeah, I, I will say. And then also on this date that I went on, all of there was like three cats that live at the bar and one of them immediately comes up to me because it's me, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm like, okay, of course. And it's, I, I, of course it's black cats too. Um, and then- Because uh, you're a witch. And then the guy, the guy was like, oh, but you probably won't see the other cats. And then by the end of the night, all three cats were like in a circle around us. So that, um, I mean, they were just attracted to your power. They they were, but I will say like that night, like truly like the last night that we recorded, um, I was like, I got the weather I want. So I'm like not looking sweaty. The cat girlies are here. Um, the date actually didn't end up, I think like going that well, but um I felt really, really in it. And I really uh, felt like I was tapped in. I was I was very tapped in in that moment. I love that. I love that. I really do. It's been a, I feel like it's been a magical time. So for me this week, I've probably talked about it before, but I have like this tree that I'm friends with that is like out in front of my house. It's a sycamore. So there are like these huge sycamores in California that, are very pretty and they do this really cool thing almost like birch where they shed their bark and they get like really pale white underneath and so I've never really asked the tree for anything before I just you know I make my offerings to it when I like go through and like deadhead my flowers as they're like starting to fade I make little bouquets and give them to the tree anytime we do like uh offerings for the sabbat they go out at that tree but recently I've been wanting to get a wand, you know, just because I've, I love the idea of having one for like casting circles. Mostly I, I do a lot of like visualization, like very kind of like traditional witchcraft vibes is really how I do things. I don't do a lot of like very specific spell work, but I do a lot of like offerings and like visualization magic. So I was like, you know, tree, I would like a wand, you know? So I was like, if you want to like, give me a stick or something that I can carve into a wand, that would be dope. 
and literally like the next day found this gorgeous stick that I'm I have and I'll show a picture I guess I should probably post it on like our stories or something but for you on the patreon you can see it so it's it's a stickamore stick uh stickamore <laughs> sycamore stick um and I took my exacto knife and I peeled all of the bark off so like it's got really pretty textures still to it and I just oiled it up with some carnauba wax and a little bit of orange oil and I think I'm gonna mount quartz on it and maybe like carve some vines and stuff into it but I've been letting it like kind of just hang out in my space for a while to figure out exactly what it wants to do because I have a really gorgeous piece of like clear quartz or citrine that I could put on it but I want to like figure out what the wand wants but it also god it smells so good but yeah so I I was just really I was really happy because I've I just don't tend to ask like plant spirits for much I mean it's like I love communing with them and like treating them and getting to know them but as far as like the way my witchcraft works I'm not typically like asking a lot of them it's really just like honoring them and like communing with them that makes me feel powerful so I didn't really know what to expect because I just don't typically do that and then for it to be answered so quickly I was like oh thank you tree so get to know your local plant spirits y'all they're like really nice and helpful no, I mean, truly, I, there is a tree here that, there's actually two trees here. They're like sisters, though, but it's these two um, live oaks that are, like, in the very center of my apartment complex, and gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. But one of them has done that thing where it has, like, fully, like, dipped down towards the ground and Love like flat that. and like flattened out so it's like there's this huge branch that's kind of at the right height to like sit on mm. and we love her we love her make friends with trees people trees are cool. yeah make friends with trees and like just give them things give them little offerings they like it it's nice most people are not respectful of plants and so. truly actually put a pin in that because when we talk about gnomes we're going to get into uh, making little offerings too. So. Oh, good. I'm excited. Well, um, I also just like on a very Virgo thing, my other very magical moment this week is I finally got a nice vacuum. Oh, honey. Okay. We should actually, we should, we should talk about that in a patio ladies episode sometime because yeah. I'm here. I'm here for talking about household appliances all day every day and that is how you know that I am in my 30s yeah oh my god I I just cannot we'll talk about it in a patio ladies it was everything to me and I was like this is Virgo magic just cleaning the shit out of my house um but I also find that like cleaning for me is very associated with cleansing like I I make it magical and that's I mean that's oh, really my magic style anyway you know it's like I oh, do that's... the mundane and make it magic why not can I can I add to my when did you feel magic this week? Just because I am crazy Nagulera. Uh I went it. I went out and had tea this week. And this is like a close runner out because I had this puer that was aged inside of a mandarin orange. Oh my god. And so you guys know that like maybe you don't for all of you out there puer is aged tea so like literally they like steam it and it's kind of like moist sometimes and they really let like bacteria and funguses grow yeah, on the tea it's leaves. Funky in a good way. So not only is it like they say 
probiotic. They say that it is. I don't know. I don't really know how that works with like dry tea, but they say that pu'er tea is probiotic. Um, but it does have like funguses and stuff in it, and it's really weird. But there was some crazy energy in this tea because I mean, you got to think it's like a couple of years old. It's like aging and like doing weird shit, and it's like this one in particular ages inside of like a, a whole tangerine skin. So it's like black by the end of this. It's like a black ball and you just steep it. And then it makes like black juice. And mm. then it makes you feel weird, but also good. Um, God, maybe I have to go get some pu'er tea today. There's really a really great little uh, tea shop in the Grove. They're cash only, which I always, I have to like make it a point when I'm going to the Grove for the tea shop because cash only is a thing. Cash only, to cash, for. cash only is a thing to prepare for, especially if you're going to the tea shop. But yeah, absolutely. No, because pu'er, like, is not my favorite tasting tea, but it really did feel like I had had, like, a health potion afterwards. Like, yeah. I felt really good. I, I actually do tend to like pu'er, but there are certain things that I don't enjoy. Like, I have found that I don't enjoy the taste of monk fruit. Things sweetened with monk fruit, not my jam. Pu'er tea. I like palettes are weird, um, <laughs> but let's get started. I mean, let's... I'm excited. Today's going to be fun. Um, Mandrake, guys, I I was really stoked. So as many of you know, I got this book recently called The Poison Path Herbal, which is great. So you will find in our like upcoming episodes, we have a lot more like baneful herbs than we've talked about historically, which I'm into. Uh, some of you might know, others don't. My ultimate dream, whenever I like have property, because it like I can't do it when I have such public space outside, I really want a poison garden. I want one so bad, but I'm not going to do it while I live in like a neighborhood with a ton of children and like animals running around. It's going to be like when I get my old haunted Victorian house with half an acre. When, um, you, can, when you can actually... Uh take the time to keep the squirrels out to you well fuck squirrels but i no, will put a little fence up okay that's true so what so the squirrels can maybe get in there and um whatever yeah happens. i will invite whatever the squirrels whatever in happens happens honey it's the I have, there's garden. a fucking there's a fucking squirrel that keeps digging up one of my like polka dot begonias so i'm like this is just not the time to talk to me about being kind to squirrels but i I, so I was really excited to get this book. Um, Kobe Michael is fantastic. His Instagram is also really good. But a lot of the baneful plants are entheogens, which we've talked about, which means people will like take them to trip. So I'm going to like insert some extra disclaimer warnings at the top of this segment. And you'll probably hear me talking about this for these other episodes. Like Mandrake is poisonous. Every part of the plant is poisonous. They contain tropane alkaloids. Um, so even though some people will like take specially prepared potions of it essentially to trip, I'm not going to talk about that. And I'm not going to tell you how to do that because this just feels like not the format where that's responsible. So, you know, if you want to learn more about that, this is a great book. There are other great resources. I'm just going to like say up top, that's not what I'm talking about with poisonous plants. Like I just, I am an herbalist and I feel like it would be irresponsible of me 
to talk about eating things that are poison. So all that to say, let's talk about some taxonomy, right? So mandrake, fun facts, is actually the genus name. And it includes six hallucinogenic species. They're all in the nightshade family. And the Latin name is mandragora, which is derived from Greek or Arabic. It means like hurtful to cattle. But sometimes you'll also see people calling it like mandragon because it is like very heavily associated with fire. Um, it's it's a very, very cool plant. The name could also though be related to the French main de glory, which means hand of glory, which kind of refers to one of the plant's historical magical uses to discover treasure. And in Hebrew, the word translates to love plant because it has also been used for like aphrodisiac purposes because there is some tie to Venus. It's like a bit Venusian with some of its historical uses, but Unless I specify otherwise today, I'm primarily going to be talking about Mandragora officinarum. Guys, again, I apologize. Uh, the Invisalign is making talking extra tricky still. <laughs> um, so Mandragora officinarum. And these little dudes are like, they're native to the Mediterranean region and to the Himalayas. And as we know, they're very, very well known for their like thick, potent roots that look a bit like small people because the roots have this characteristic fork that gives the appearance of little legs. But the, the roots are kind of like thick and like tannish white, almost like a parsnip, but then they just look like people. And mandrake plants uh, above ground have a short stem that bears a tuft of ovate leaves. So if you think about like when you're growing like a head of cabbage or even cauliflower or like um, like broccoli, right? So you have like the head and then you get the like basil, like the basil arranged leaves around it. That's what the leaves look like on mandrake just without like the cruciferous veggies in the center. And the flowers are solitary. They're bell-shaped with five petals, hey associations to witchcraft. And they range from like purple to yellow green in color. But the Mandragora officinarum has like the more yellowy green flowers. And the fruit, it's a fleshy orange colored berry. To me, they look almost like rose hips, you know, as rose hips are just turning. Although some people say they look like small yellow apples. I don't super see that, but I guess a lot of people do. I think they look more like rose hips, but because of the apple comparison, the fruit have been referred to as love apples or apples of the gin, J-I-N, which the magical gin joke in the magician's television show is still one of my favorites. Um, but the Arabs called them Satan's apples or devil's testicles. So... A lot of folks, probably all of you, have seen the movies or read the books about a young English wizard written by she who must not be named. And there are some interesting scenes with Mandrake in those books and films. And the whole screaming thing does come from its ancient lore, right? A long time ago in a land not so far away, Mandrake was used as like a narcotic and an aphrodisiac. And the whole root that like looks like a human thing has meant that people for basically ever since the first time one was dug up have associated it with magic right like if you dig up a plant and the root looks like a person that's magical so of course because it also grows underground and looks like a pale demented baby people often thought it was in league with dark earth spirits and this led to some wacky harvesting guidelines so at one point in time it was believed that mandrake 
could only be safely uprooted in the moonlight after appropriate prayer and ritual by a black dog attached to a plant uh, attached to the plant by a cord. So that's a lot. It's <laughs> a lot of prep work. Yeah, I mean, um, you got. That's, I mean, that's a lot of legwork to have to do to to run one errand. Like, yeah, God, so much to do, and you know, of course, like the hands weren't like human hands were never supposed to come into contact with the plant, which is one of those things where like, yeah, there's some lore around it, but also like it's kind of safe safer to not just be like touching poisonous things and now the screaming the roots uh come from the previously mentioned like we talked about like this previously mentioned story about a young wizard the screaming roots there come from like a medieval superstition that the mandrake was like when it was pulled up from the ground it uttered a shriek that killed or drove mad those who did not block their ears against it like good news it's not the case irl but that also could have been like one of those like folklore that your parents tell you to like not go into the forest right it's like oh we don't want to go down that road there's werewolves in there and it's like they know there's not werewolves but they're trying to keep you from like dying in the woods right. so um, you know folk uh, folk folklore often involves uh exactly what you're talking about yeah scaring children away from doing stupid shit so if you want to grow it though the good news is like it's pretty doable if you have the right type of soil and it's hardy in zone six to eight. But I am going to say up top, like it needs deep, rich soil, right? The roots are just going to like rot away if your soil's stodgy and it doesn't like to grow in clay, which I know is hard for a lot of people. Like a lot of people have soil that's primarily made up with clay and all of the stuff you see about how hard it is to grow, I attribute that probably to the fact that most people have a lot of clay in their soil in the u.s at least like that's pretty common but if you want to grow it like i think this is a good candidate for maybe uh like a garden bed like a raised bed where you can have a little bit more control over the soil composition but it does need full sun it'll put up with partial shade but it actually takes it like almost two full years for it to establish and set fruit and while it's establishing, you need to keep it well watered. Every year, you're going to need to add a layer of compost because it does need like a lot of nutrients. And you can plant it by seed or start it from like an offset or even a divided root if you know someone with the plant. But it is, it's kind of tricky to find, especially in the US. And there's like some plants that are sold as mandrake that aren't actually mandragora. They're like other types of like um like plants that look similar and have these little apple looking fruits but they're not mandrake so if you're trying to grow it like you're gonna have to do some work to find it but again they are they're like kind of tricky if you don't have the right soil so this is not for the faint of heart so the seeds should be planted in containers if you're going by seeds so they don't get burned by winter freezes because they're a little temperamental if it gets too cold and then you're going to basically take care of them in these containers for two years and then plant them out in your garden. But again, be careful about where you plant these, like not just for soil, like you don't want to plant these near where a bunch of kids play for obvious reasons. So, you know, this is one that if you want to grow it, I say go for it. But just know that like this isn't like other herbs we talk about where it's like a set it and forget it situation. You're going to have to babysit them. 
because we're not in the Himalayas. I mean, if you are, you can just probably go fucking find some. But the rest of us, it's going to take some work. So I'm I'm not going to talk about using this for medicine. It's not like used really for medicinal purposes anyway these days, but there are some interesting historical uses, right? So in the Middle Ages, it was used to induce sleep, which if you're not careful about it, that sleep can become permanent. So, you know, uh, according to Dioscorides, physicians relied on the plant during surgery, right? Because the patient could quote unquote become overborn with dead sleep while the surgeon could painlessly cut or cauterize. So they were almost using it like like anesthesia, but again, it can kill you. And in his De Materia Medica, he includes a recipe for mandrake wine, which instructs you to cut the bark of the roots into pieces, pierce half a pound of them through with a thread and put them into nine gallons of must for three months. They say that half a pint of it mixed with six pints of raisin wine and taken as a drink brings one into a heavy, deep sleep. He did wisely warn that a bigger dose could very well kill you dead. Uh, But, you know, it's also one of those things where you don't know what the dose needs to be unless you experiment with it, in which case a bad experiment kills you. So. The first century Roman encyclopedist Aurelius Celsus in his book De Medicina wrote that a more efficacious method to fall asleep was to drink wine made with mandrake, opium seed, and henbane seed, which is also a great recipe for a permanent sleep drink. Like, can we just put a bunch of poison together in wine? Um, it's like, shh, you- just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. Go see Jesus. Um <laughs> But let's like talk about magic, right? Because the magical history is like super deep. I mean, mandrake has been associated with witches forever because anything creepy and cool has been. Uh, But there is also a lot of historical association with love magic and aphrodisiac usage. So often you'll see it like corresponding to Venus in some things. Traditionally, though, it's most closely associated with the planet Mercury and the fire element. And of course, we see associations with Hecate and Circe, as well as Hathor. Um, also, you'll see like Venus, Saturn. There, there are a lot of different associations with Mandrake. And I think interestingly enough, like sometimes you'll see people referring to like the roots and the above ground like fruit to have different associations too. So if you're looking at like Venus and Saturn, I'll usually see it like the roots are considered Saturnian and the fruit is Venusian. So really depending on your like magical background, like this is one that can kind of go any way that it wants. It's a it's it's a bit of a polysexual plant, if you will. Um, the magical uses are for things like protection, fertility, money, love, and ironically enough, health. Uh, just don't eat it. But it's probably most famously been known as like using it for a fetish, right? So Nick's going to talk about a fetish in a bit. But this is the use we have a lot of history on here. And the way that that works is they would like dig out the mandrake and then carve into it to make it look like a person. And then it would be wrapped in fabric and fed with offerings of like milk, wine, honey, and blood. And there's also a really long history though of witches working with it like as a familiar, right? And this can be like a spirit familiar, but also like a root that you keep. 
And in some traditions, like the root would be passed down, like kept in the family, like passed down for generations to bring power and prosperity. But you can also, if you wanted to these days, like take a whole mandrake root and put it on the mantle of your house to bring protection, fertility, prosperity. But don't do that if you have pets that will eat it because they would die. Um, there is a lot of lore, though, around activating the dried root, right? Because if you get a dried plant, some plants they say are like better magically when they're dried, but there are plenty that aren't. And mandrake seems to be one that like folks want to wake back up essentially. And so the way that they suggest doing it is like you place the dried root in a prominent place in your home or even on your altar and leave it undisturbed for three days. After that, you'll soak it in warm water overnight and then the dried root is said to have been like woken up and you can take the soaking water and sprinkle it on your windowsills or in doorways to add a little extra protection and maybe even welcome in some prosperity and fertility. They also say that if you place money by the root, it will be doubled, which clutch. But again, like the healing powers of Mandrake and like making the offerings to it sort of as a fetch or even just as like a spirit that you're working with. We see in things like Pan's Labyrinth. I don't know when the last time any of y'all watched that movie is, but in the movie, uh, the fawn gives Ophelia a mandrake root and she puts it in a bowl of milk and like feeds it drops of her blood to try and, uh, and then she like shoves it under her mom's bed because her mom has like this, her mom's pregnant and the pregnancy's killing her. And then of course the mom finds it and tells Ophelia like, your magic's not real. And she like super yells at her and then throws the mandrake into the fire and then goes into labor with like crazy pains. So, you know, don't let people throw your spell in the fire. Also, Ophelia's mom, not fucking cool. But overall, like in modern times, the safest way to magically work with the plant, I think is to call on the plant spirit and like work with that instead of the physical plant itself. So to do this, you could like meditate with the plant, spend some time getting to know it before you make any requests, kind of like you would a deity. If you do want to work with the plant physically, just like remember to wear gloves and be extra careful. But this is another one that I would say that like artwork featuring it would be a great way to work with the spirit of it, to like call it in. Because I I tend to be of the belief that like plant spirits are very similar to deities and that you don't always have to be right next to them to work with them. I think it makes it easier but it's not like necessary and it's not possible for people to do that with everything. And I don't think it means that you can't work with the plant. I think there's an extra like power to working with plants that are like native to where you are, but who doesn't want to work with mandrake sometime, right? And again, like I'm not going to talk about using it to like trip balls because I don't think that's responsible, but there are still plenty of ways that you can incorporate it in your magical practice. So I, um, I was going to say, I do kind of like this idea of like having like a dry one though, as like a family heirloom. Yeah, it's super cool. I would just, my concern with that is like, as a cat owner, is oh, I'm sure. like- Yeah, no, you got to keep it in the drawer. You got to keep it, you got to keep yeah. it in a drawer um, in a fancy little box. That's what you would do with it. Yes, be careful. But yeah, so like there are plenty of ways to work with it. I love the idea though of making like Mandrake art and like looking at some of these crazy historical artworks of it because I mean, you know, I feel like Nick and I are both creatives and I think making art is also a very powerful form of magic. 
and mandrakes are very powerful but also very dangerous so you know proceed with caution and respect editing this segment where it wasn't like a billion years long was difficult but i think i've hit like the high points but mandrake is a very rich deep plant so who knows maybe there will be a part two at some point but my sources today were the poison path herbal by kobe michael uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica, heyo, welcome back to the 90s. Um, an article called Was It True? Exploring the Magical Uses of Bay Laurel and Mandrake in Antiquity by Maria um, Christodoulou, I believe. She's a Greek herbalist. I'm probably mispronouncing that name. I'm sorry. Greek is not a language that I'm good at. Uh, Papios.com, there's a great article on there. And of course, Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. Well loved that love mandrake um she is mysterious yeah she's mysterious she looks like a wrinkled up crazy baby uh she i mean i'm like i love like the uses in that the the book series uh by she who must not be named is is great but honestly like the pan's labyrinth representation of it is like much closer to the traditional magic that you might see with it which i think I mean, that's also just a fucking great movie. Go rewatch oh, yeah. it, or or if you haven't watched it before, you're welcome for the recommendation. Go enjoy that. <laughs> well, uh, on that note, but yeah, speaking of tiny, dirty people, um, ongoing coverage of magical creatures, we're talking about gnomes, okay? And I was actually really excited to get to do this one. Um... I'm a little stoned because I'm like, mm, I'm gonna get stoned to talk about gnomes. Um, I mean, I that feels correct. I, it does feel correct. And what I will also say is that talking about garden gnomes on actual Father's Day does feel very like on the nose. Because I will say that like, my dad does not garden, but he's always kind of like puttering around the yard, like fucking with something. Yeah, I feel like yards are a very dad thing. Right, right, right. Um, and garden gnomes, you know, like the and because you know they like they're all like smoking a pipe. Like garden gnomes are kind of like a visual dad joke, you know. Truly. Also, oh my god! Like if you haven't been to a dollar store recently, this is the time of year to go and see all the wacky, weird garden gnomes that you can find for like under five dollars. I've um, never and, been to a dollar store in the summer that doesn't have gnomes. Um, and I'm I'm actually loving the suggestion because I was just telling you before we started recording that I'm going shopping for tarot cards soon. And now I have a second thing to go shop for. Yeah. I mean, also, like, around Halloween, keep your eyes out because I have two super cute garden gnomes that are, they're like, living dead zombie garden gnomes that have, like, worms coming out of their eyes and stuff. And, like... So I, I wanna I do wanna say I feel like redacted is is ultimately who ended up with my garden gnome. Ugh. Probably. Do you do you know who do you know who I mean? Yeah. And that hurts that hurts my feelings. Um, but do you remember my my garden gnome that I got at the theater Secret Santa? of all places. I do remember. Was that you that got me that? Or I think that maybe it was Sean Hallman? No, I think that was Sean Hallman. Um, shout out to Sean Hallman if you listen to the podcast. Um, 
But okay, where did my gnome go? Uh, do you remember my gnome t-shirt? Because gnomes had a moment in like, they did. The, the early 2000s. Because there was those like um, Expedia commercials or whatever, like with the little gnome. Yeah, wasn't that your like rolling with my gnomies or something like that t-shirt? Or I just saw that t-shirt everywhere. There were a lot of gnome t-shirts. There's a lot of gnome t-shirts. There was a gnome t-shirt moment um, in the odds. Mine said to each his gnome. To each his gnome. I, and, I knew someone that had the like rolling with my gnomies t-shirt. But no, my but but you you were with me when I bought that t-shirt. I believe at Hot Topic. Yeah, because we went to the Olive Garden after for endless mm. soup, salad, and breadsticks. Oh my gosh! Yes, and my choice because that yeah. was my that was my fancy birthday lunch. Yeah, shout out to Karen. Shout out to Karen. Um, but really though, okay, so but yeah, gnomes have that uh, a cultural moment, and then the first time we ever did acid together, um, and then fucking Igor plays that Pink Floyd song, The Gnome, which I'd previously never heard um, about a gnome named Grimble Gromble. Yeah. And then um, ever since then, I do listen to that song every time I trip just to take it back, just to take it I back to the very first song. time, you know. But The it's number funny of times because... I like putter around my house just like singing that song to myself. Oh my god, no, same. Um, okay, but Right at the top, I do want to point out, in the grand scheme of things, that gnomes are a relatively recent addition to, like, the realm of magical creatures. You know, there's no, like, Mesopotamian myth about um, gnomes. <laughs> um, and Although, uh, I feel like an ancient Mesopotamian gnome would have been pretty dope. I mean, I do not think that you were wrong, but they just didn't have them. They didn't have them, you know? But we can dream. Truly. Hello? Hey, there you are. You froze for a second. No, I'm so sorry. I'm having a little bit of a technical difficulty over here. Um, okay, no, we're all good. We're all good. Uh, oh my god, no. Okay. <laughs> the gnomes got into your computer. I was just trying to like make it easier to read. Okay, that's fine. But okay, relatively recent addition to the magical creature uh quote-unquote pantheon i will say um but they do borrow some of their aesthetic from like other older groups of little people um so we're talking like scandinavian style elms which you know specifically you know kind of like icelandic elms but is kind of like a surviving tradition of that but like the scandinavian lore also had dwarves so like just kind of the way they dress and look is like somewhere between like an elf and a dwarf, right? Um, if we're purely looking at like Scandinavian stuff, but then there's like brownies, there's leprechauns, and actually we're gonna get into some like compare and contrast, but leprechauns are, I think, maybe like a cousin, would be like a cousin of gnomes. Uh, but we're gonna get into that a little later on. We're gonna get into that a little later on. Um, but talking about, like, garden gnomes, though, there's another place to look historically, uh, and it's actually something we covered recently, which is Priapus. So you guys might all remember that uh, we discussed Priapus scarecrows, which weren't a real thing, but um, I've actually discovered that scarecrow might be a mistranslation or 
kind of like a misconstruction of like the size of the private statues that you would be putting out in your yard to like keep intruders and stuff at bay um, would be more kind of garden gnome sized. Um, which, you know, economical, economical, you know, you can't, can't just make it make a scarecrow all the time. Um, but oh, okay, my apologies. All right, being dumb sometimes happens when you're gorgeous and it's an occupational hazard. So maybe it's not scarecrows, but you know, sometimes people mistranslate stuff to you, and that's that's an important thing yeah. to remember. I mean, this is a very long game of telephone. If we're it going really back is. to like it really antiquity. Is. Um, but there is at least this sort of passing connection between like garden gnomes and priapus statues that is uh, somewhat familial. Um, and one thing I thought was very interesting though getting into this is that in order to learn as much as we can about gnomes, we have to go to Switzerland, which follow me, follow me this far here. Uh, we don't end up doing a lot of mythology stuff out of Switzerland. I know, like, I was about to say, um, that's a twist. Yeah, but uh, the gnome, which ultimately is a bit of a cultural amalgamation of a magical creature, comes from Switzerland, or was written about by a guy that was from and lived in Switzerland. So it kind of makes sense. So we have this place where, like, North and South Europe famously meet, and they have this kind of thing where, like, Kind of the people in southern Switzerland are kind of like more French and like the people in the north are kind of more German um, and they're kind of like one country and it's very cool and they, you know they have cigarettes for breakfast uh, or whatever that whatever that TikTok noise is um, but really but yeah but it's very like north and south meeting so you have this southern idea of um, elemental spirits you know nymphs and that kind of thing and then this kind of northern idea of like dwarves and elves and and these kind of like these little guys little guys running around everywhere um and specifically these like cute little bearded guys okay but so they end up with this really like fabulous crossover mythology like this crossover hit which is gnomes um and all of that to say that when you live in a melting pot melting will happen which is why it's kind of hard to truly identify like the origin of like a gnome because it's like it's it seems to have been pulled in from a couple of different traditions and areas um from like the center of europe so of course of course of course it's switzerland um but this is a good place to talk about um where our idea of gnomes officially comes from now, anyone that is trying to be thorough in their examination of gnome history is going to come across one book, the sort of seminal work about gnomes, apparently by my guy, Paracelsus. Uh, the book is called A Book on Nymphs, Sylphs, Pygmies, and Salamanders, and Other Spirits. I love that wow. use of the double and instead of... But, okay, whatever. Uh, that's the name of the book. But that definitely sounds like a fake book that someone would read in a fantasy novel, but it is in fact a yeah. real book that a guy wrote, a guy named Paracelsus wrote a book. It, uh, it does straight up sound like made up. Like it sounds I, like it would be in a Terry Pratchett novel. No, I'm it. like literally, it's from a Terry Pratchett novel. It's from like a Garth Nix mythology. Um, I, 
I'm really like, wow, gnomes storied, the storied history of gnomes. But in the this particular book, um, pygmies is kind of the umbrella term for earth elementals. So nymphs, just to kind of, you know, because nymphs being the water elementals, uh, officially in this sort of explanation of uh, the magical creatures of the world, um, sylphs are like air spirits. And there, I kind of like did some little side research because I was like, what is a sylph? Um, is it like a milf at all? Um, I know, I was about to say, it just makes me think like spirit I'd like to fuck spirit i'd like to fuck but that's not how it's spelled <laughs> i know um but it's like but it's like a little genie almost um so they're kind of cool and then pygmies are like dwarves and, and but then it, he kind of goes into this where it's like it's a subcategory so it's like leprechauns dwarves um brownies pygmies um and then gnomes um but he refers to them as gnomus which is like latin for like earth dweller or something like that but gnomes but also like why is this latin as this guy his name is paracelsus uh again latin as fuck like why is he in switzerland you know like what's going on there i mean i i i know that like that part of the world was part of the roman empire and then wasn't part of the roman empire and like i get it you know like people spoke latin but i'm just like it's a very latin name um but so yeah, his, like, were you on the run? So, but like Paracelsus basically uh, uh, asserts in this vision of the world with these elemental spirits that um, each of the elemental spirits can move through their given medium um, the way that we move through air, right? You know, so it's like these these pygmies, these these gnomes um, could just kind of like walk through dirt, and that's kind of their vibe. Um, which is kind of cool, but it kind of makes me think of uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. For some reason, the way they're just, like, walking and then the tunnel appears behind them. Um, no, I feel good, like, visualization of that. That makes sense to me. Um, anywho. So they're these earth elementals, and they guard natural riches, is their whole vibe, the gnomes. Um, so like if there's like a vein of silver or like a vein of gold or like even like gems crystals like they're kind of like the guardians of it and other than that they like live very sort of simple rustic life simple rustic village life albeit underground right so they're very they're kind of homey like to me it always, it always kind of makes me think of like um like the mole the little mole guy from like wind in the willows or whatever like he, he lives yeah. in the, the, the cozy little little hole i mean um, you might say that they spend their days whining dining biding their time <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um but so they're sort of the guardians of these like natural riches and they will allow humans to access these um, as long as, you know, they're like respectful of the gnomes and make little offerings to the, to the gnomes. The gnomes love a little gift. They love a little gift. Um, and they just, you know, they like being appreciated. Yeah. Truly. Who doesn't like tea and little cakes? Right. I mean, even, even that much. Um, but people, you know, gnomes um, are known for hoarding. 
So we're not talking like it. So think, and, and this is kind of where I wanted to get into it. So like a leprechaun also guards a treasure. So a leprechaun is, is uh, sometimes known as a spirit that's guarding a treasure, uh, the pot of gold, famously. Um, but it's not always a pot of gold, but, you know, it's like a treasure or like they can grant a wish or like whatever. But um, sometimes a, a bit of a hoard, right? But like their treasure can be like a man-made treasure or like something, you know, um, whereas the gnome would really only be hoarding like natural, like, like it would be a natural hoard. So it'd be like natural gymstones, like rocks of gold, you know, like yeah, not it'd be coins, like, like raw, raw stuff. Raw, uh-huh. So like the, like the gnome's hoard is, is different than a dragon's hoard. Um, and also, you know, it's like, they're not like taking it from people. They're just like, kind of into and they kind of get into this like dwarvish thing of like mining of being like a mining culture and like you know like if you look into german folklore around dwarves it's like they they do kind of mining but like general labor as well like and it kind of ties into like um cobbler elves you know like we all know the myth of the cobbler elves that come in and like help the shopkeeper at night or whatever um while he's asleep uh but, but yes, it's like um, they guard these natural resources and that's like really their whole thing. And then how did they become associated with gardening? Well, I will tell you, uh, it was not until like the late 1800s. So like they existed as this like natural creature, this elemental that like people believed in. And then um, like German porcelain manufacturers in the late 1800s decided to model a garden statue, a garden statuary off after the mythological garden gnome with his little waistcoat and his little pipe, you know. Um, and, you know, it really caught on. It really caught on. It was the pink flamingo of its day. And, I mean, it's still, I mean, the fact that they still sell garden gnomes is really cool. But also, like, you know, like the little the little Santa hat is very much like a Germanic thing, or it's not like a Santa hat, but like the pointy hat is very like Germanic. Um, yeah, it's like my my gnome has the the pointy red hat. It's very common. Yes, and um, sort of like the idea that they would protect your garden, though, does kind of make sense for them as like the way that their spirit is described as being like guardians of like natural stuff. Um, you know, because like a garden is is a, is more natural than like a hoard of gold coins. So and you know, I feel like they'd be into it um, for a price. But so I did want to talk a bit about like working with gnomes because one of the things I came across while doing research for gnomes as well was this podcast. Um, it's called Intuitive Awakenings. If anyone wants to go listen to this other podcast, like, you know, because sometimes you just have to be like, hey, this was a source that I used. Because the the, the host of that show was talking about um, working with the gnomes as spirits. And one of the things that I thought was really cool, because she talked about it a little bit on the thing too, was that um, a lot of times when people are like astral projecting, or even on like DMT, trips and stuff they see like elves and gnomes it's a very very common motif and sort of like she didn't get into this but i was kind of like wanting to like take it a step further though but she was talking about leaving like little raw crystals like little raw 
quartz raw amethyst as like offerings for gnomes obviously you can go out into the woods and then like when you meditate like the gnomes will visit you because they are like inhabitants of the astral plane which i think makes sense for like a lot of like myths about fey kind like any kind of fey kind you know where it's like sort of like um like a dimension that is overlapping with ours you know and like sometimes we can catch glimpses of it and most of the time we don't but they i feel like they can kind of show themselves to you if they would like to and gnomes are so people who work with gnomes say that they're very very picky about who they will reveal themselves to they're very very discerning judges character um and what they can like provide to you is like confidence and like it's uh, it's like a lot of prosperity because again they're like these guardians so like they guard all this stuff deep in the earth but then so my okay but here's why i'm like i had to get stoned for this because we're talking about like astral gnomes now we're talking about like gnomes in the astral plane like these earthy fucking spirits that can give you you know kind of more abundance in your life and if they so choose like you might not ever see it you might not ever see a gnome because they're they're picky as fuck okay um but the cool thing about gnomes though is they're not like leprechauns you know like leprechauns can be tricksters the fae can be very tricky we're like we're like the gnomes have this earthy energy they're earth elementals um so it's almost kind of like they're trustworthy they're more trustworthy you do have to respect them but they're more trustworthy like they're not gonna um, go back on 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 a deal and yeah they're they're not gonna like try to feed you something to trap you forever yeah and they're not you know they're not gonna like trap you in the fey realm like they don't they don't want to do they that. don't want you there it's they fine don't, they don't need you they don't they don't need you um but no so the gnome the astral gnomes the astral gnomes are apparently really cool and ways yeah, again you can go to the woods you can like offer them raw stones i feel like they would even like like uh fool's gold you know like um geodes like you know just like any like little natural natural thing but what i was also thinking was like there is this kind of thing where it's like why do people latch on to garden gnomes and like why is it so easy for us to just like imagine that there's like little people that like live live down in the earth or like little people that like live in the garden and it's like in some cultures in the world like like japan or like china you know there's like shintoism like where like they think everything has has a spirit in it versus like you know like <laughs> abrahamic religion where they think there's like literally like one god and he lives in like a castle in in heaven in the sky or something um and yeah or or, or like that only people have souls or like like that human souls are like the only like spirit in existence in this entire world which feels kind of like no um yeah i'm like have y'all never had a good pet have you, yeah have you never had a good pet but then also like the, the the idea that there might be this like astral realm or like that there might be spirits that exist without like physical forms um you know like i'm very much into it but it's like i feel like but but it's so easy for us to just like imagine these little these these cute little earthy village people like living in a garden and like you know running from cats and stuff um 
Yeah, it's because we all want to be hobbits deep down. We do all want to be hobbits. And actually, like, hobbits are partially based on gnomes. Um, little people, halflings, you know. They're like half gnome, they're like half gnome, half person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Living uh, the life. Like, that's the halfling part. It's like, what are you half, though? It's like, you're obviously half person. What's the other half? Gnome. They're gnomes. <laughs> There's fucking gnomes, Okay. But no, I do, uh, but also, like, I don't know, did you ever read the Artemis Fowl books? As a, I as did a child? not, actually. I did Okay, but, like, in that, all of the, like, fairies and dwarves and gnomes and stuff, like, live in the center of the earth. Um, and that's very much the vibe with, like, a lot of the, like, lore around gnomes, was that there's, like, definitely these, there's, like, spirits, and they have their own villages, and they have, well, it's kind of like in Narnia. You know, in Narnia, I think it's, like, the Silver Chair, where they like look down through like the crack in the cave and they can see that there's like a whole like world inside of the world that's like yeah. at the center of the earth or whatever or like at the center of Narnia and the people are made of like gemstones and lava and stuff which is very adventure time uh by as well for some reason um but okay no like the, but like the gnomes are hanging out in there like the gnomes are just like hanging out in the earth doing god knows what um and it's actually kind of terrifying. But no, but they seem cool. But they seem cool. Uh, and then it's like, what if what if the gnomes were just all the people that we buried in the ground? Because, because there's just all these random spirits that are like kind of helpful and they just like live in the ground. And okay. It's a good theory. I, <laughs> interesting theory. I know, because like really, it's like, as far as like, like modern day, like people don't really fuck with gnomes anymore. Like, like magically, you know, it's like people are really really into celtic mythology and they're really really into norse mythology but like gnomes are not really part of either of those things again a lot of gnome lore comes out of switzerland which there's not like a huge um swiss uh pagan revival community out there which i do think is it's just funny that they come from switzerland so not much more on that today but we did want to talk a bit about um, fetishes. So a gnome can be a fetish because you like put it out to protect your garden. You're like, um, it's an object that uh, you are kind of imbuing with power, right? Yeah. And also, but it's it's sort of like a cultural thing because actually um, the the idea of a fetish comes from like really kind of bad anthropology though. And I, it's like, a, I'm giving a bit of a wag of my finger. The <laughs> idea of a fetish comes from like sort of bad anthropology from like the 1600s when they were like when like the Portuguese were coming into Africa and they were like trying to like learn about African culture they came up with this idea of a fetish because these uh African people would have these like fertility idols that they would uh make offerings to you know whatever 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 and it but it was like a statue you know and it's like like a little statue and they they were like oh they worship the statue and it's like they, they came up with this whole idea of a fetish for basically being like, oh, these people worship a statue. And it's like, okay, but like, you worship a statue. Every, when you go to church and there's like the big crucifix and the guy on it, like that's a statue. And you're like literally making offerings to it and like taking a, taking a communion in front of a statue. Yeah, it's like, how is that less animistic than what these cultures were doing? Calm down. So that's, that's kind of like where, so I start reading about fetishes and like the idea. So it's like really this kind of thing where it's like um, coming from this place of like 
Christians and like missionaries kind of believing that they had this spiritual upper hand and like coming up with this concept of a fe of of a fetish being almost sort of less than um, like their spirituality, but basically the idea, like with the mandrake, like with the fertility idol, like with a um with a garden gnome even, is that or like more to the point, like a statue of Priapus, is that you are kind of like giving this object power, right? Um, and then it's almost kind of like the, um, you know, like, I, I don't want to be that guy, but it's like, you know, in like tribal culture where it's like, someone will have like a staff, you know, like the main guy will be holding a staff because it's like, that's his, that's his thing. Like he's the high priest. He's the main guy. He's holding a staff. Like that's his, that's his thing. And that's very much like a fetish, right? Um, in Japan, they talked about how a fetish could be like a sword. So like if, a, if there was a famous sword that had maybe been used in a certain battle, like, you know, the, the ancestors of that person would like still have that sword because it was like this, now it's like a powerful, it's like a relic. But then it's like making this distinction between reliquary and like calling it a fetish is very much like, um... but then so the idea of a fetish too, as like, an object that when you see it makes you um, feel a certain way. So it's like when the statue comes out, now we're at church, right? Yeah. Um, like when the garden gnomes are out, now we're uh, in Europe or whatever. You know, it's like it's very, it's like it's English or I think it's you know like the Eng like Victoria like it, they were made in Germany, but they were bought in Victorian England. So it's like yeah. you know when when English people would go around the world, they you know, other cultures would be, think that garden gnomes are ridiculous, but also, you know, like, a, a another English person would be like, oh, I'm, I'm so, I'm with my people. Right. The, garden, <laughs> the gnomes, the, the garden gnomes are out, you know. Um, but no, so, but this whole idea of, like, a fetish is almost condescending. So that's really, and actually a lot of modern anthropologists do condemn the idea of talking about fetishes, um, instead of using terms like relic or totem. Totem is a much better and like more accurate way to talk about these kinds of things where it's like, you aren't worshiping the statue, you're like invoking a spirit with the statue, right? Yeah. It's not it's not actually the statue that the people are worshiping, it's the, the idea that it represents. So, so yeah, it. that's, so that's it. And then, um, I think this would be maybe a good time to do asks. Yeah, yeah. So, Nick, if someone wanted to reach out to us, how would they do that? Well, they could go really old school with it and email us at wantsandfronspod at gmail.com. Um, or if you'd like to join us in the 21st century, um, we're very active on our Instagram, um, which can also be found uh, if you just look up wantsandfronspod. Very, very easy for you. Um, and then, you know, if you wanted to really go the extra mile, you join our Patreon, which is, um, also easy enough to find Wands and Franz pod. Thanks so much for that, Shannon. That, you know, great, easy thing that we can do for everyone. Consistency. You're welcome. Consistency. Oh, we love a Virgo. Um, and yeah, so you get bonus episodes every month. You do get the video, which, you know, everyone out there, like, listening in their car, you did not just see Shannon's wand in this episode. 
Yeah. Um, or my. You didn't cool see my cool my plant witch T-shirt. Yeah, we're <laughs> speaking of speaking of flashing everyone. Shannon right. Just, uh, showed everyone her plant witch T-shirt. Um, but truly though, you know, we do uh, bonus episodes. Um, and yeah, you know, for as low as five dollars a month, you can help us make this podcast. Isn't that yeah. fucking nuts? Oh my god, you guys. It means so much to us. And of course, if you wanted to do something for free, or if you're a patron and you haven't already done this, uh, rate, review, subscribe, y'all. Like, go on Apple Podcasts. Nick has a template for you. This podcast is good. If you write that... Music to my ears. Yeah, if you write that, Nick will do a single tarot draw for you, and uh, it'll be lots of fun. And then if people Google good podcasts, maybe Wands and Fronds will come up. Uh, but also on spotify you can leave a star rating now we need more star ratings it's not giving us the averages yet because not enough of you have done it i want stars we love lots of stars lots of lots of uh lots of tarot draws in our future um let's do it speaking of tarot draws shannon you have a you have a tarot scope for us today i do and so today it's for cancer because your season's about to start, babies, it'll start before this episode airs, but it starts on the 21st with Litha, uh, the longest day of the year, which begins leading to shorter and shorter days. Thank God. Uh, oh, I, I do. I heaven. love cancer season. You guys, cancer is the only zodiac sign ruled by the moon. Uh, and it's also like cancer is associated with Artemis, like big wands and bronze vibes right and for you also guys, also i'm a cancer mars yeah i have that's one of, that's that's my that's my biggest soft boy placement i love it i don't have any um active placements in cancer if you look at the whole sign system we all have every sign in our chart but i love the cancer vibe but for y'all i mean it can't always be shannon delivering the good news so i've drawn the world in reverse okay this world card in my kitty cat tarot deck though is so cute look at him anyway but the world reversed is kind of an interesting card and i think i'm glad we're getting this as we're heading into a new moon for you guys because what i'm really interpreting this as is like the world is often about cycles right and the world in reverse can mean that you're feeling stuck but the reason you feel stuck is because you're you're in some sort of cycle that's not serving you well anymore and you got to fucking break out of it like you're in a comfort zone you're feeling like nothing's moving nothing's changing well you got to you got to break up with something so it's like are you holding on to a past relationship that really like isn't serving you well anymore are you like pining for something that's never gonna happen are you like wistful for days gone by this is kind of a like you gotta get the fuck over it cancers like we love you we need your good energy but you can't like stay stuck in the past in negative cycles and things that are comfortable but not necessarily productive so like shake it up you know you gotta like sometimes to move forward you gotta let stuff go and that's really what i'm feeling for this i'm feeling like you guys are stuck with something like something is pulling you back into the past and not letting you move forward and we need you to move forward well that is always good advice for anyone i think so 
but also I was thinking about I, I know two cancers, uh, or I'm like friendly with two cancers right now. And um gosh, if you overheard the conversation that I overheard between two cancers at the bar night before last, I like really they need to hear this. So I'm I might tell them next time I see them. Um Good. Good. I love that. <laughs> but yeah, so what do we say to all of those all those pipe smoking gnome bitches out there? Oh my god, to all you pipe smoking gnome hobbity bitches. Blessed be bitches. Blessed be you hobbity bitches. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye now. Any do 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 boo 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 do do.